Welcome. Good to see everybody here uh, this morning. I had knee surgery on Thursday, so I just want you to know I'm just going to sit down. It's not that big of a deal. It's just if I stand up, what happens is it starts to swell, and I don't want anything to sit here and swell up here. That's why I wasn't greeting out there, because it would take 20 minutes of swelling, and then I come up here and, and those kind of things. So um, um, surgery puts life into perspective, you know. Um, it's just a meniscus surgery. You know, the meniscus is something that doesn't heal very good. And surgeon will come in and say, you know, uh, um, we can try to fix it and, um, you know, patch it and see if it'll grow together if you were 20. <laughs> but, but since you're 50, 49, pushing on 50, most likely we'll just kind of cut it out and trim it and, and uh, which is a pretty good fix. You'll heal fast. In other words, if we really fix it, you're going to have six weeks of recovery. In other words, I wouldn't be preaching today if, I, if they tried to fix it. Um, but, uh, but if we just cut it out, it's not that big of a deal. And, and you'll be all right for a while. You know, arthritis might set in when you're 20, in 20 years or so. And as so I'm sitting here doing the math, I'm like, if I'm 20, they'll fix it. They just won't cut it out because I'll be 40 and arthritis will set in. But if I'm 50... They'll just cut it out and arthritis will set in when I'm 70. I'm 85% dead when I'm 70 anyway. So they just say, ah, I'll be fine. I mean, it just puts things in perspective. We are so frail. <laughs> I mean, we are just a dying people. We're like, I know, we are a dying people. That's why we come to church and look at God and, and feed off of eternal life. So I'm excited to preach this morning. And the reason why I'm so excited to preach is because we're going to start a new series. Uh, we're going to start the series of, of Saul. And uh, when you look at Saul, we're probably going to look at five, six, maybe seven weeks um, of Saul. But Saul fits into the big story, uh, the big story of the Bible. Um, six weeks is what we're going to focus on Saul in particular. But it's not really even about Saul because the Bible is really not even about the characters inside the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus. But Saul plays a, a big role because the people say, I want a king that looks like me, <laughs> talks with me, like me. A king after our own heart. That's what I want. I want a king after my own heart. You know, that's the king I want. And God says, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's the wrong question to ask for. But don't worry, I'll give it to you. He gives it to him. And his name is Saul. And then God gives them a king after his own heart, which is King David. And then God gives us himself, which is Jesus Christ. That's the whole story. So every week, I mean, we're looking at a year, year and a half, we're going to be talking about King David, you know, the, the piece of it, Saul, David. Every week, that, that's a story that, we're, we're, that sits underneath the umbrella. That's how the whole thing functions together. So as we're looking at each passage of the Bible, we need to look at it in the context of that story, that beautiful story of redemption and God working towards redemption. I want to encourage you to read uh, 1 Samuel consistently because I can't tell the story every single week. I just have to tell little, little pieces of the story. But read 1 Samuel and understand this story as we're walking in. So when we look at the little passages on the micro level, you will see it fit inside the big umbrella. This morning's a big story, and the reason why is because they're asking for a king. This is huge for God's people. The reason why it's huge for God's people because they've never done this before. They, they've had judges that have been ruled over them. 
They haven't had a human king. They've had judges. Well, they don't want judges anymore. They want a king. First Samuel chapter 8 is when this story starts. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the second one is Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside for after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justices. Here we have kids again that are rebellious. Gideon had kids, and his kids were struggling. Eli had kids, and his kids were struggling in rebellion. Samuel has children, and his children are struggling in rebellion. We even see the story continues to go. David has children, and they're struggling in rebellion. Just make a mention of that, because we often think of, you know, my kids are struggling. It's all about me. There's some champions in the Bible. Their kids are struggling, and they're struggling right here. And Samuel was going to let them take his place. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in the ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We don't want your kids to have the position that you have, Samuel. We want, take it a different level, a king. And when you start taking it to a level of a king, we want authority. We want power. We want, I would even say, sovereignty. Because when a king wants to do something, the king gets to do something. The king carries power. The king carries glory. The king carries the last statement. I want a king, and he says, like the other nations. What they're really asking for is saying, Samuel, give us a man after our own heart. In all these nations, they have people that track with them. They have people that carry power over them. And as a result of these people that are carrying power over them, this is what their nations get to look like. Remember where they're at. They're, they're in Canaan with a whole bunch of different Canaanite pagan gods. And when you start looking at, at, at pagan gods, what are these pagan gods? These pagan gods are setting the rules. But as they're setting the rules, they're setting the world, rules to feed the flesh. What they're asking for is, come on, just give us a man that will let us do what we want rather than what, what God wants. This, this is what they're, they're asking in that statement. Well, Samuel doesn't quite understand that, but God understands it because the passage continues to go. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being their king. According to all the deeds that they have done. From the day I brought them out of Egypt even to this day. Forsaken me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the way the king should reign over them. Here they're asking for a human after their own heart is what they're looking for. They can do what they want. And Samuel is offended. 
It's like, you know, I'm trying to get them to follow you, God. And God is saying, Samuel, it's not you because you're not the king. I have always been the king of my people. You are the messenger to the king. You're a vassal that explains to them who, what the king's heart is all about and where the king stands. Moses was not a king. Moses was a messenger of the law of the king. In other words, I've always been the king. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting my heart. They're rejecting my desires for my people. They're rejecting my law for your people. They're not rejecting human law. They want human law so they can have freedom. They want somebody that is connected to their own heart. So God says, give it to them. But warn them that if they have somebody in the position of power that is the same as them, that it's going to be ugly. <laughs> because remember the concept, everybody does what is right in their own eyes? You know, they're here. We want a king so we can do what is right in our own eyes. Well, if you put one person in there in complete charge, what's that one person going to do? That one person is going to do what is right in his own eyes, not their own eyes. They can do what is right in his own eyes. So God says, Samuel, warn these guys and tell them they really don't want a human king. Here's a warning. There's one word that that is mentioned, and I'll probably I'll highlight it as we're reading it, but you'll see what's going to take place. So Samuel, this is the warning, told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for the king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take, 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 take your sons and appoint them to the chariots, to be the horsemen, and to run before his chariots. And he'll appoint him before the commanders of a thousand commanders and fifties and sons to plow the ground and to reap the, his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipments of his chariots. He will take, 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 take your daughters to be perfumers cooks and bakers this king will take 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 the best fields and the vineyards and the olive orchards to give them to his servants he will take 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 the tenth of your grain of all your vineyards and give it to the officers of the servants this king will take 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 your male servants and your female servants and best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work he will take, 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 take the tenth of your flocks. You shall be slaves. And that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer this day. This king's going to be after his own interest. He's not going to be after yours. God said, I have been after your own interest the whole time. I'm always after your own interest. You put a man that has the same heart as you, that man will be just like you after your own interests. And you are going to cry like a baby if you get him. You're going to cry like a baby because you do not want him. Here's the response of the people after they received the warning. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us 
and go out before us and fight our battles. <laughs> they just now expose themselves quite a bit. We, we don't, we're not listening to you, God. We will have a king over us. And this is what we want. We want to be like other nations, meaning we want to conform to the patterns of human beings, not to the patterns of a God. We want to conform to the patterns of human beings. That's what all the other nations are doing. Let the human beings judge us. I mean, remember kings are the ones that are carrying the power. Let the human beings be in charge. And remember, they're in pagan nations and they want to adopt the pagan policies. And what, what, is, what is pagan worship? You know, Baal is, is the god of, of life. And you look at Astros as a god of beauty. And, and the Aphrodites are the goddess of love and the goddess of sex. And Dagon is, is the goddess of corn, grain. Well, what these gods are doing is the gods are filling up their flesh. <laughs> it's like, God, we don't want a mind like yours. We want a mind like theirs. God, we don't want a heart like their, yours. We want a heart like theirs. Let us be like the nations and let them judge us like they judge each other. Because, you know, they're, they're man. They're, they're man. It's, it's, it's different, you know. You say, do not commit adultery. And it's like, God, there's no freedom in, in that. You say, do not lie. There's no, there's no freedom in that. We're rejecting you, God. We're not rejecting Samuel. You know, I don't ever want to say that God is mean, but there are some passages where he is absolutely just brutally nasty. And this is where he's brutally nasty after they gave them that answer. In fact, I'm looking at it going, oh my goodness, God. <laughs> Here it is. This is God's response to them. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repaid in them in the ears of the Lord. And then the Lord said to Samuel, and here it comes. Okay. <laughs> Give them what they want. Obey the voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man of this city. <laughs> okay. You can have what you want. That's the most damning words practically in scripture. Let's, let's put this in a little context. I remember, um, you know, raising kids. And when I was raising kids, you know, we had a wood stove and uh, we always put a fence around the wood stove. And the reason why is because they love the flashes of the fire. They love to watch the fire go. And when they watch the fire go as they're two years old, they demanded that their parents would allow them to touch it. I mean, that's just what they wanted to do. Just let us touch it. I'll never forget them just screaming at the gate, Dad, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. And me in my being a father, I know they hated it. I said, no, <laughs> I no, 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 no. Let me in, let me in, let me in. What happens if I just pulled that gate and says, all right, fine, take it. So <laughs> God said. You want this, but you don't want this because I'm not in the center of it. But you're asking for it. Take it. 
how does this fit into the 21st century and how does this fit into our lives? Number one in our notes, here's a principle that we should always keep in mind, is what you ask for. God just might give it to you. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are, uh, heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, I think different than you. I, I have a different pattern in my thinking, and you can see the pattern of thinking. His patterns are thoughts that are higher. His patterns is thoughts that are more broad. His patterns is thoughts that is eternal. So every single decision he makes, he is thinking from eternal perspective. He's thinking from a higher perspective than us. He's not thinking of the micro perspective that we think of. He's thinking of the macro perspective. That's how God thinks about everything. We're, we are we are micro people and we think, this is what I want, 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 this is what I want. But every time we're asking for something, God is thinking different. Let's just bring up the concept of money. <laughs> I mean, think about money. When we think about money, what do you want? You, you want it. <laughs> oh, no, actually, you can't just say that right out loud. You need it. That's a nicer way, that's a nicer way to say it. Or you can say, I would like to, to have it. I mean, this is... This is the concept of what we think about money, is that money is an, an all right thing. But let's go to a higher level. What does God think about money? This is how God thinks about money. The more the world that you have, the less of him you want. That's God's thoughts. The more of the world you have, the less of him you want. So what happens is, this is the way money works, is that the more you get, the more you desire, and the more he gets shoved away. So he says some radical things that are just, doesn't really compute much with the human mind, but they carry such a powerful truth. Matthew 19 says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, what he's saying, he says, I don't think the same way you think. You know, we think, we buy a lottery ticket. When we buy a lottery ticket, uh, we often would say a prayer. I mean, whether we're believers or not, we say a prayer, we get a lottery ticket. I mean, what the prayer is, is, okay, God, please. And then, oh, I didn't get it. I mean, it's a hunger to say, if you do not win the lottery, the only reason you didn't is because God loves you. <laughs> That's it. The guy's like, why would I make it more difficult for my people to get into the kingdom of heaven? See, his thoughts are not, is not our thoughts. I watched this old movie. A lot of you might even not know the movie. It's called A Christmas Story. Have you ever heard that? The Christmas story, it's, it's, a, it's really an old-fashioned, it even looks like an old-fashioned old movie. But the, all the way through the movie, there's this, there's this theme. There's this boy, he's just a goofy little boy, and he wants a Red Ryder BB gun. That's what he wants for Christmas. I want a Red Ryder BB gun. And it, all the way through the movie, he's dreaming about this Red Ryder BB gun and what he could do with this Red Ryder BB gun. And, and one day, the bomb was just all of a sudden dropped 
on him. And the bomb that dropped on him, his parents asked him the question, what do you want for Christmas? And then you get his emotions like, oh, I can't believe they asked me. And he just goes out, I want this Red Ryder BB gun. It was a longer statement because he knew all about the BB gun. And his parents said, you shoot your eye out, kid. (laughs) And he's like, that's the comment every parent gets. But then the movie continues, and this teacher asks him, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I want a red, red BB gun. And what does the teacher say? You shoot your eye out, kid. And everybody asks about, I want this red, red BB gun. Everybody says, you shoot your eye out, kid. And finally he goes, there's only one person on this planet that's going to understand, and it's Santa Claus. If I can get up to Santa Claus, and I can ask Santa Claus for a BB gun, he will give me a BB gun because he understands my desires. So there's a whole process of getting up to Santa Claus. And he finally gets up to Santa Claus and he goes, what do you want for Christmas? And he says, I want a Red Ryder BB gun. And Santa Claus says, you shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> Come Christmas, he opens the package and guess what he gets? He gets a Red Ryder BB gun. He's like, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. He goes out there and it the, the weather and everything and he cocks the Red Ryder BB gun and he looks at the target and he's dreaming and the movie's really good dreaming about what's going to happen when he gets to pull the trigger to that target and shoots the target and it ricochets off the target came back and hit him right underneath the eye and, and the line that he says was just the best line in the whole movie oh my goodness I shot my eye out <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing that's exactly the way God thinks about, about money it's like, you shoot your eye, you blow your soul out, kid. You blow your soul. We gotta, you got to watch. I'm, I've got to control that. See, he thinks different than we think. Even when we start asking him, he still thinks different. He wants us to think like him. But he thinks, we think different than he does, and he thinks different than us. Not only in money, because sometimes our prayers are, are promotion. God, help me to be first. God says, you don't want to be first in Matthew 20. So the last will be first, the first will be last. Why would I let you be first? Because if you're first, you'll be last. I'm not going to let you be first. I want you to be last so you can be first in my kingdom. But see, we don't understand the concept because he, he thinks different. If we're first, then he's not. See, if we're first, the less of him we want. But his top priority is, you have him, you've got everything. All the way through, the disciples are talking, I want to be great. Oh, you want to be great? Well, according to Matthew 20, it should be among you, but whoever will be great among you will be a servant. You got to be a server if you want to, you want to be great. Because if you're great, you don't need me. See the, the conversation was going on? Is God's focus is you want me more than it. You want me more than money. You want me more than position. You want me more than even being greater. That's where these principles are coming out. He's saying, I think different than you want. You just want me. You don't want it. Not thinking the same way. Matthew 18 says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> like we, don't, we don't think that. God, help me be a, a powerful person to change the world. How many be this, this person that can speak so eloquently that, you know, that can proclaim even, even the gospel, that can have a microphone and have, and be in front of people to make a difference to the world. And God's like, I don't want you to do that. I want you 
Be like a little child so people can see my power, not yours. But yet we kind of pray for those things. We pray another prayer, and this often doesn't just come right out in church. It often comes out in the closet. God, help me to drop 10 pounds. <laughs> God, help me to look absolutely beautiful. And it's, it's a prayer we pray every morning as we're sitting inside the mirror. Just look at this. I want to be beautiful. God doesn't think the same way that we think. He says this. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. That's the opposite of the way we think. God's sitting back saying, I've made you guys way too beautiful. <laughs> way more beautiful than I, I, I should have ever made you. And the reason why is because you get, you're getting obsessed with it. And it's doing nothing, but it's deceiving you. It's lying to you. Well, what do you mean beauty lies to you? Charm is deceitful. What do you mean it's, it's lying to you? It makes you think that you earn something you're not. It makes you think that you are something you're not. It makes you think that you should have something you should not have. It's just complete liar. So God's like, well, why would I want to hand out a whole bunch of beauty? I mean, the people's minds aren't tracking with mine. It's, it will lie to you. Oh, but the fear of the Lord, that's a prayer. Now we're talking, stand in front of the mirror and say, oh, God, may I fear you today. I mean, but see, we think different as human beings than, than God thinks. We do think of the concept again, I want to be strong. I want to be powerful. I want position. I want to change the world. Second Corinthians 12 says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, the thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast, this is Paul speaking, all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I mean, is it a prayer to say, God, make me strong enough to change the world for your glory? <laughs> it's a prayer out of context. Because you will not change the world anyway. He changes the world and the only person that he can use to change the world is a person that believes that they're weak. Because if you believe that you're weak, then the power of God all of a sudden reigns in your life. There's a prayer that I pray, it's a Puritan prayer. It says, God, please help me to be strong enough to be humble and weak enough to be used. See, his heart is different than our hearts. He tracks differently than we track. His priorities are different. And so when we come to him and we start asking for things, um, he's got his own heart. He's got his own mind of what he's thinking. And what are we asking for? And what is he thinking when we ask him? I know you guys are thinking, boy, you know, we pray a whole bunch of different things. Are we even praying right? Let me bring another one up. What about um, praying for cancer? God, please heal me from cancer. If he heals you, is that okay? The answer to that is 
is maybe, maybe it's okay. What do you mean maybe? I don't understand how you can say maybe in this process. Remember all these things that we're talking about? Is if you have him, you have everything. If you do not have him, you don't have nothing. God knows it. Do you know what the statistics are of people coming to church when they hurt and then getting an answered prayer, a healing, and then not coming back again? The statistics are extreme, absolutely extreme. I come to church to get something from God. I come to church to get it from God, and then I get it, and then they don't come back. There's going to be a lot of people I believe that are going to stand in front of God during their judgment and say, God, you can't judge me. <laughs> you cannot judge me. When I had cancer, you and I walked together through the process. God, it was then that I felt your hand like no other. It was then I felt your power like no other. It was like I was just speaking with you, me and you. It's like one of those, those gut prayers where I hurt so bad and I felt that comfort. And we did this for two years. And then you healed me. And you knew that I was going to leave. And you healed me anyway. Why would you do it? Why wouldn't you just let me walk with this relationship straight into glory, into your arms, rather than heal me and let me go for 10 more years? What would God say to something like that? God would say, you never wanted me anyway. You wanted it. And the reason why I healed you is because you wanted it, not me. And when you left, I wanted you to have a revelation of what you lost when you left me in the process. See, God thinks different than we do. He looks at the whole perspective as we speak and as we pray. Now, if we've messed up all the prayers, tell us how to pray if we're supposed to pray. Number two, this is how to pray. Ask for him more than it. What we end up doing in our life is, God, heal me. I don't want you. I want it. God, make me a strong pastor. I don't really want you. I want, I want it. And God's speaking to his people at the loudest voice he could possibly speak is you don't understand. I am the source of all of it. And if you reject me, you've rejected all of it no matter what you get. I want to go back to Samuel. I want to read some lines of the people that are asking for it, not him. And may we be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. The story says, God says, you don't want it. You want me, and these three statements are completely denying me. Completely denying me. You don't want it, you want me, but you're choosing it rather than me. So God gave them, through Samuel, all the excuses. 
And then the people, in verse 19, refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there will be a master over us. And then you see the emotion of God. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. They don't want me anymore. They want it. So the challenge to us off this passage is that when you pray... Never forget that God is the only one you really want. Never forget that God is the center of it that you are asking for. So when you pray, pray the model of God, give me your hand. Don't just give me a hand. Give me your hand. God, give me your wisdom. Give me your goodness. Give me your mercy. Give me your peace. Give me your strength. Give me your joy. We all want joy. And we're asking for joy. Just give me joy. So if we get joy, we often can easily just throw God aside as soon as we get joy. Don't ask for joy. Just give me your joy. I want it to shower over me. Give me your law. Give me your statutes. Give me your heart. Give me your love. Give me your image. Give me your will. Give me your words. And all of a sudden you're conforming inside this relationship to the almighty God. In the process of doing that, it is not only met, but it is not nearly as important as what you have in Christ. Because it's all about God at the center. Pray for more God than it. And then number two, pray the Psalms. Told that. This is going to be a point that's going to be um, said over and over and over again. Um, And the reason why I'm saying it over and over again is that there's a packet um, in the back, um, back there, um, right on top of the tables of the, those little round tables. And what they are is they're, they're the Psalms. And uh, all I've done to them, I didn't change anything, I just put them in first person. Because what they are is they're prayers. Well, if they're David's prayers, um, maybe we should say them. <laughs> maybe this is what we should pray. If this is a model of prayer, maybe we should just not try to add a lot to it or anything to it. Maybe we should just pray it. So what they are is there's psalms that are written. I'll just, here's the first one. God, you are a shield around me. You bestow your glory on me and lift up my head. To you, O Lord, I cry aloud. You answer me from your holy hill. All it is is just, it's just in first, first person. We're going to get through Saul. <laughs> And after we're done with Saul, or not even done with him, we're going to get to David. It's a man after his own heart. And what does that mean? That means his heart is tracking with God. And as his heart is tracking with God, he writes his heart on pages, and it's the Psalms. He writes his prayer on pages, and it's the Psalms. And as a result of the 21st century, we can actually open up the Psalms today and say, how does God, what does God's heart look like? And we can see his heart. How did my heart connect with God's heart? And we can pray that heart for the purpose of God connecting the heart. Because he doesn't want to, he wants us to adjust our mind to him, not have our mind adjusted to us. Because he thinks different than us. I just want to read a couple really fast. And you can even see the focus of them. It's, it's back there in the package. Just really see the focus of them and see where they're going. Psalms 119. God, please do not let me wander from your commandments. 
God, please deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. God, please open my eyes so that I might keep your law. God, please take away my reproach and contempt from me. God, please teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. God, please strengthen me according to your precepts. This is the prayer of beggars. (laughs) But what are they asking for? They're asking for him. They're asking for him. Because through him, whatever it is will be answered. And it's the base of prayer as we're looking at it. So we'll get more of that as we're unfolding the entire stories. Number four, the story of King Saul is giving the people what they asked for before giving the people what he wanted. story of King Saul is giving the people, God giving the people what they asked for before God gives them what he wanted. (laughs) Saul's almost as a statement. You want it? Okay, you can have it. Here's Saul. (laughs) Good luck. Enjoy it. But don't worry, I'm going to send somebody after my own heart, and it is David, so you can see my heart on the pages and how I think and how I track. And then, after that, you're going to receive something else. You're not going to receive it anymore. You're going to receive me. Yeah, I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to come to earth, and you're going to see me. I'm not going to give you it, I'm going to give you me. Through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ walks around the earth, what does he say? I'm the son of David. See, God has a mission. Mission is that he thinks different than we think. But he wants us to move us to that process of thinking the same way he is thinking. Where our hearts can be connected with him. And as a result, he's got to give you himself. And therefore he does it in Jesus Don't pray for it. Pray for more of him. And you will get it and beyond. God, thank you so much for putting your heart on the pages of Scripture. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. But we are not in the dark because you put your thoughts in your word and we can open its pages. We can understand it. We can conform to it. We can embrace it. Through it, we can find life. Everything is there, God, for us. As we're going through this study for the next year, God, and as we open up the pages of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and and then open all the pages of Psalms, God, we just pray that we get nothing but your heart, knowing that we don't think the same way you do, but we want to. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.